are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. You know, as problematic as life can get, there's nothing quite as troubling as marriage problems. As a pastor for both youth and adults, I have often see, seen the broad scope of what a troubled marriage looks like and what it can produce, or maybe I should say what it can destroy. There's something about a vulnerability and an intimacy and a closeness and a oneness of marriage that you really can't get anywhere else. You can't get that from your parents. You can't get that, uh, that kind of closeness from a close sibling or even from a uh, wonderful childhood friend. And this intimacy, this extreme intimacy, is what makes this relationship so incredibly painful when trouble hits, right? In fact, I've heard that the breakup of a marriage produces about the same level of stress in our lives as the death of a spouse would bring. And that's how serious it is. That's why, friends, marriage is no light matter. It really is not. My father, uh, the senior pastor Lim, he always told me, ever since I was young, before I even knew what really marriage was, he said, David, there are two things that you need to really understand that are the most important things you'll ever have to answer in your life. One is this, who uh, is what you'll do with Christ, whether you'll accept him or whether you'll reject him. That's the first and foremost important question, decision you'll ever make in your life. The second one is this, who you'll marry. Who you'll marry. And I, and I, and I challenge you with that as well, to consider that. Who you'll marry. Um, marriage is no light matter. It's, it's, it's not about humor compatibility. It's not about physical, just about physical attraction, quite frankly. It's not even about what that person thinks of you or what you think of that person. Are these things important? Absolutely. But they're not foundational. And when you place those type of requirements as the foundation for marriage, then you'll be in for a rude awakening. You know, I, I've heard that so many times before. But I thought she was so this, or I thought he was so this, or she was just so attractive, or he was just so attractive. You base your entire marriage, your foundation of your marriage on the person's looks or their, even their personality or even whatever you want to call it. It's shifting sands. So if it's not about compatibility, if it's not about the emotion of love, then what should you look for in a marriage? What you should look for in someone is to see this. What they believe about God. What they believe about God will determine the quality of that person's faith and will ultimately, the quality, will determine the quality of your marriage with them. I read a book called When Sinners Say I Do by Dave Harvey. He said this, When a person believes, what a person believes about God will determine what he or she thinks about how we got here, what our purpose in life is, and what happens when we die. Essentially, the author is saying this, what you believe about God will influence, will impact, and lead your perspective, your worldview, your principles, your philosophy, and your theology. And so, brothers and sisters, I say this, marry well. Marry well. Marry prayerfully. Marry after doing all your homework and see where that person is in their relationship with God. Where that person is right now in their relationship with God, not where they could be. Can you hear an amen? amen? All right. The one statistic everyone and their mothers know is the divorce rate step. We all know that. Nearly 50% of marriages end up in divorce. By the way, 
the Christian statistics, a lot of people say oh, Christian marriage, marriage is no different from secular marriages or non-Christian marriages. That's not true. According to the Barnard studies, the Christian marriage divorce rate, not to say that this is anything worthy of boasting, was around 37% divorce rate as opposed to the mainstream 50%. But the bitter experiences of marriage problems forms the backdrop of our text this morning. Now before some of you guys write this off as saying, Pastor David, I just graduated high school. What the heck does this have to do with me? Before you guys write it off as something irrelevant to your current stage in life, understand that we are who we are shaped by those around us. And those around us are people who have experienced firsthand the brokenness of marriage or the strength of marriage. Regardless, this is relevant to us all, even to those who say they'll never get married. And people I've met who say they'll never get married are ones who actually have the deepest wounds from marriage, whether it's from their parents a brother and sister, an aunt and uncle, grandma, grandpa, whoever, whomever. This message that you hear today impacts us all. And so for our first point today is this. God, he loves his bride. He loves his bride. I have been to many weddings in my life, and as a pastor, that number will only grow. And I, and I think that's wonderful. I had the great, immense pleasure and joy to marry uh, some of you guys, including Don Heyoung, which I, whom I love so much, and Patrick and Gian as well. And uh, so it's been such a tremendous joy, and soon it will be Joe and Joanna. This is great. This is, this is weird, but this is, this is a dream of mine. I want to marry all you guys right now, Right? It is a blessing to see two Christians entering into a covenantal union before their God and church. For those of you who are married right now, can I hear a who? Okay. <laughs> Do you remember the day you got married? Mm-hmm. I want to speak to the married men right now. Do you remember how beautiful your wife was? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> I'm not joking. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Deacon Joshua. Lead the way. Now, to the wives, do you remember how strong and how wonderful and how completely masculine and handsome your husband was that day? <laughs> All right. Do you guys both remember the love that you felt that day? The butterflies in your stomach. But let me ask you both. In that moment of complete bliss as you stood before each other, didn't you know that your wife and your husband had faults? Yes, of course. Now, you're probably, you probably weren't thinking that as you stood before each other, but it was just that by at that point, when you're standing before each other with the officiant right there and you had the rings in your hand and you're about to say the, the wedding vows, that those faults, it just didn't seem to matter. It just did not seem to matter, did they? In other words, your love for them, your hope for a marriage with them completely overshadowed any blemishes, any faults, any wrongdoings that you knew about them, right? So what if he has bad breath? So what if he had a little debt? So what if she did this or whatever? It's just, I'm, I'm in love with this person through and through. God loves you like that. God, he loves you like that. And you will not be able to understand what James is saying here until you grasp that truth, that God fully, unequivocally, unashamedly, passionately is in love with you despite your many faults, despite your many failings. He just loves you. He just loves you. 
Turn to each other and say that truth. God loves you fully. Throughout the Bible, both the Old and in the New Testament, God, he called his people many things. He called his people his people. He called his people his children, his flock. But he also called them his bride. And that bride, it stirs up the most intense and intimate description that he has ever given to express his love for us. But in James chapter 4, God, he doesn't just stop with the image of being married to his people, but he goes on now to specifically talk about how much he longs for his bride's affection. I want you. I have you, but I want you, and I want you to want me, like that song goes. Now, when you get married, and this will also be everyone's experience, you didn't just love your new wife or husband, but you wanted that love for them that you give to them to be returned back, didn't you? Of course. You love them, and you want them to love you back. You don't want to just love a wall. You want them to love you back and to be returned. Reciprocity. Marriage is not a one-way road. There's a give and there's a take. A reciprocity involved that was purely exclusive to you and to them, meaning this. That your love for each other must never, your love for each other must never be lavished onto another man or another woman. Right? There's a deep sense of exclusiveness in marriage union. And if that wasn't the case, then you probably never should have gotten married. But that's how God feels about us too. In the Bible, when a bride and groom join together, they become one flesh. They leave and they cleave. In other words, they leave their family and they cleave to one another and they become one flesh. This is a beautiful picture of union in marriage. One flesh, one body, one mind, one heart, one But as wonderful as that imagery is, what's more intimate is this, our union with Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, he gives us his spirit, and the spirit of God comes to live within us. In other words, we become spiritually united with God. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says this, It is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Now imagine the greatest love you have ever felt for another human being, whether it's the love of a child or even the love of your wife. That love, even my love for my wife, for my daughter, is only a fraction of the immensity of the love that God has for his people, you. You may think that you're alone in this world. You may think that no one knows you, that you're unloved. Oh, but if you only knew how much he loves you. Do you know Christ's love? Have you experienced Christ's love? It is better than anything else. Have you been joined to him? Or are you still unsure and in the dark as I speak about his love for his people? You see, to know his love, we must abandon all other loves. All other loves. To love him and to know his love and to be embraced by his love, you must abandon all former loves. This afternoon, I call you to abandon everything, people, for the sake of knowing Jesus, because to know Jesus is to know the Father's love. Amen? The second point is that God demands that we stop flirting with the world. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Stop flirting with the world. Come on. Some of us here have witnessed or experienced painful breakup, breaking of vows between a husband and a wife. Perhaps some of you guys have witnessed this through your parents' infidelity. The idea to turn the love that we promise to each other towards someone else 
is incredibly painful. This is probably one of the most bitter experiences a man or a woman could ever endure. This is the accusation which God calls out on his people. In verse 4, he states this. He says, you adulterous people. You adulterous people, there's nothing else for God to say to describe the pain and the anguish and the betrayal that he was experiencing when his own people, his own children, when his own bride turned away from him. You see, we know the devastation of adultery, don't we? We've all witnessed it, experienced it, maybe we're experiencing it right now, but do you know how God feels about it? Let me read a few verses from Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 15. Through 34. It's a bit long, but it gives us a glimpse into the heart of God and how painful it was for him to see his bride reject him over and over and over again for another. The word of God says this, but you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men. With them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them, and set my oil and my incense before them. Also, my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you have borne to me, dedicated to me, and these you sacrificed to them on the altar to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you had to slaughter your children, deliver them up as an offering to fire by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked, bare, wallowing in your blood. And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God. You built yourself a vaulted chamber and made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby, multiplying your whoring. You also played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your horn to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. You played the whore even with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them and still you were not satisfied. You multiplied your whoring also with the trading land of Chaldea and even with this, you were not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord. Because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street, making your lofty place in every square, yet you are not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers bribing them to come to you from every side with your whoring so you are different from other women in your whoring. No one solicited you to play the whore, and you gave payment. While no payment was given to you, therefore you are different. This is a horrible, terrible passage. God is watching his precious, beautiful bride use all the love and all the gifts and all the blessings that he has lavished onto her to commit adultery against him again and again and again. Do you see how much he yearns for you and how much 
It pains him. This is how God sees our affection for the things of this world, people. When we seek after pleasure, when we live hedonistic lives, giving into our lustful flesh, when we grab for all the pleasures the world has to offer, when we simply pursue after our own dreams, after our own desires, after our own selfish ambitions, it tears at God's heart. And God says, stop flirting with the world. Verse 5 says this, Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? You know what this verse means? This verse means that God jealously longs for your affection. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is jealous for you. Like, I'm sure that you've heard that word being expressed before to describe God, right? In fact, in Exodus 20, along with the second commandment, it says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Now, this verse is evidently, has evidently led Oprah Winfrey Yes, Oprah Winfrey, the one who distributes chocolates and small compact cars to her audience on any given day. This is the verse that she had a problem with. And she said, and I paraphrase, I refuse to worship or believe in a God who gets jealous. It is such a human emotion. It is small. It is belittling. Something to that effect. Clearly, people use whatever they want to use to rebel against God. At the end, it's not about that. It's about their unbelief rather than, rather than some obscure passage in Scripture. Yet, interest, interestingly, this verse isn't obscure at all. In fact, it makes perfect, rational, logical sense that God is a jealous God. Look, I don't condone anger or jealousy because typically the way that we as people often display anger and jealousy is wrong. It's typically destructive. It's typically unrighteous. But how is God's jealousy for his people justified? Now imagine this, okay? Imagine a husband who sees his wife flirt with another man. Some of you guys are thinking, I don't even want to think about that right now. Imagine your wife flirting with another man giving him the eyes, brushing against his arm, caressing his back, whispering sweet nothings into his ear. It's unfathomable. And here's the thing. If you were to witness that type of interaction between your wife and some other random person or your husband and some other random person, you as a husband, you have every right to get jealous and get mad. Because she is yours and you are hers. Only you should receive that kind of intimacy. Am I right? Only you. None other. No one else has that right to her. God is jealous because we are his. And he has every right to ask for what's his. And that is his people, his bride, us. So how do you think the Lord feels when we caress the idols? When we whisper sweet nothings into other things like that. You know, one time when I held another baby, and then I looked at Ada, and I had, I forget whose baby, if I use one of your babies, forgive me. I held this baby, and it was just cute, it was adorable, and I said, Je-? I go, Ada, look. Look, is, are you jealous? <laughs> we've done that, right? Some of you guys, parents, we've done that. I don't know why, we're all messed up, Right? <laughs> I go, Daddy's holding someone else. Oh, yes, I love you so much more. You know what what happened? 
Ada started frowning, and then she soon, soon started crying. And she became jealous. And I'll, and I'll admit, I regret ever doing that. And I promise I will never do that again. Jealousy, no matter what its form, if it's from a baby like my daughter, jealousy is not cute. It's not fun. It's destructive. It fractures our relationship, and I'll never do that again to my daughter. She is my daughter. I am her father. There's no other. God is yours because you are his. We must never challenge God's love for us. But we do so every day when, we, when our attention and our worship is on someone else or something else. We do that every day. Every time we flirt with something else or someone else in our lives, thinking that person or that dream is the answer to all our problems, that person or that career will somehow be my rescuing factor, my redeemer, my restorer, my refuge. Know that it angers God when you place and elevate something that is a creation to the level of God. It angers God. Why? Because firstly, he alone is the only one who can save us. He is the only one who can restore us and redeem us and make us whole. But secondly, unlike those idols of our lives, only God loved you enough to sacrifice his own son for you. Did you get that? The son of God died for you so that the father of God, father God can have you. He knows how cheap our adultery is. We flirt with money all the time, with pleasures, with the world thinking that the world can give us what only God can. And God, he's crying out to you saying, I can give you so much more. I can give you so much more. I can give you everything. Don't settle for a cheap affair. Look, people, I don't know the details of your affair with the world. I don't know when the world is seducing you, trying to capture your heart, but I do know that there are temptations that we face every day, but today the Lord calls us to stop it cold, to stop flirting with disaster, to cut off your spiritual adultery, break it off, stop giving your heart, stop giving your love, stop giving your life, your hope to empty worldly things that will not and cannot love you back. God will not share your affection with his enemies. And church, let me say this. By his grace, his love is greater than our adulterous affair. In fact, his love is so strong that sometimes, many times, we will lose everything in our lives. We will lose our jobs. We will lose our financial security. We will lose our homes. We will lose our cars, our dreams, our health, our family to remind us that nothing, nothing, nothing can ever compete against God for your heart. Sometimes we don't know that, that job opportunity that just come around or that new relationship that we're entering or that pleasure that we just sought after, as good as it might be at first, actually, actually is an adulterous death trap that would destroy us. But because of God's amazing love, many times he will remove these obstacles if need be from our lives or have these things fail us to show us how much greater his love for us is and for us to come back to him. Sometimes the brokenness, brothers and sisters, that is in our lives is not because of our failures, but because of his love. Praise be to God. And that leads us to our third and final point. God restores the broken. Amen? We've all watched 
Marriages break up. It's not pretty to see hopes and dreams dashed on the rocks. It's not fun to see love turn into bitter, vindictive hatred, and yet it's a common occurrence. That's why you hear of breakups, whether in dating, relationships, or marriage, that people try to, in order to save face, will say, oh, no, no, it was mutual, or it was, it was an amicable breakup. But let's be honest, brokenness in our intimate marriage with one another sometimes seems beyond the hope of any type of reconciliation. It seems impossible for any type of restoration, but not so with God, because God alone restores brokenness. Now, what God wants is far different from what we think should happen when we try to resolve a broken marriage. If you see parents who have a kid, and they've, they're getting divorced, they try to redefine their goals. They try to redefine their lives afterwards. They say, well, let's be civil with each other at least. Let's try to part as friends. Let's go ahead and spend one weekend here, and he can spend one weekend with you, and we can try to do this. But God says this, no, no, not so with me. You cannot do that with me. There will be nothing civil between you and me. Why? Because you committed adultery. You cheated on me. You favored the world. You had an affair repeatedly with my enemy. You chose another lover. You rejected my love. Love, part as friends? No way. Verse 4 says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. No way. So then, what can we do? Do we stand before God in our adulterous spiritual lives, condemned forever? What can we do to restore a broken relationship? He says this, repent. Repent. Repentance would mean to turn away from other lovers and to humble ourselves and to return back to him. Repentance is to admit our guilt and forsake our sins. Repentance is to carry a broken and contrite heart as we cast ourselves on top again and again and again upon his mercy. And the reason why God can demand such brokenness, the reason why God can demand such humility from us is because he is the one who's not been, he's not the one who's been unfaithful. God never broke his vows. He's the one who said, I do, to the end. He's the one who says, I do, through sickness and in health, through rich or poor, through good and bad. God, he's not associated with any guilt. We are the ones before the Lord Almighty who stands condemned. Therefore, we should stand humble. And God, he certainly does not owe us anything, least of all reunion. But that's why verse 6 is so amazing. We have messed up every avenue of our lives, every aspect, every fiber, every arena, whatever you want to call it, of our relationship with God. We have messed it up intentionally, rebelliously, disobediently, and yet more grace. We've cheated on him. We've broken our vows. we turned our backs on him. We have pursued other loves. We have given our bodies to other things. We have given our hearts to his enemies. And how does God respond? Does God respond with revenge? We deserve it. Does God respond with hatred? We deserve it. Does God respond with condemnation? You burn in hell. We deserve it. Does God respond in that? No. Verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. That is shocking. But I did all this, but he gives you more grace. How can that be, Lord? It was grace that he gave us when he first took us to be his bride. 
And now he promises even more as we prostitute ourselves before him. I don't get it, Lord. You know, in this world, one affair is all it takes. Then it's time for divorce papers. And after the Ashley Madison scandal that maybe you guys have heard, there were many, many resignations from church deacons, church staff, church elders, church pastors. In fact, sadly, one pastor, one senior pastor, one lead pastor of a, of a church committed suicide. It devastated his entire church. It devastated his entire community. It devastated his entire family and his wife. He thought that him being caught cheating was the end. There is no redemption for me, he says. There is no more hope for me, he says. And the grace of God that he so willingly offered his members when in counseling was grace that he could not accept for himself. And so he took his life. He thought it was the end. And maybe for some of you guys, you think, I've been so far away from you, God. I've done so many wretched things in my life that this is, and there is no way. I am an adulterer through and through. Put the scarlet letter on me because there is no hope. But God says, not so. I will give you more grace. You know, we tend to love more when our spouses receive our love and love us back. That seems to make sense. I will love you more, and when you love me back, that feels nice. So therefore, I will love you more back. But God, he demonstrates his love for us more in the face of adultery. I don't get that. Paul, he, just, he got it right in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. He says, but where sin is increased, grace increases all the more. Hallelujah. Are you hearing what God is saying to you right now? Are you hearing this? God is not writing you off. He's not throwing you back out. He's not saying you are to be condemned and stoned. God, he's offering you, every single one of you and me, forgiveness. He's offering you restoration. He's offering you complete reconciliation that we do not deserve. There is, however, one condition. We must stop our affair with the world. We must stop our fleshly desires. We are called to repent and turn away from everything but him. At the same time, neither is he saying that we need to earn back his love. Remember, his love has already been given. He's given us more grace, grace that will restore our brokenness. And this was the message that Jesus was bringing every single day. That's why it's called good news. This good news was not for the prideful or the spiritually self-sufficient or the holier-than-thou types. This good news was for those who are poor in spirit, the ones who are broken, the ones who knew they deserved nothing, the ones who knew that they were owed nothing. God's love for us is not demonstrated by wealth. So don't think that just because you're doing better in life than person A or person B that you are favored by him. God's love for you is not demonstrated by health. Don't think just because that person has a body of a triathlon and, is supposed to, and does amazing things, that person is more blessed. No, no. God's love for you is not demonstrated by success. Don't think just because this person graduated with a 4.0 GPA and got to Harvard and got to med school or law school and is now making six figures easy and driving on Mercedes and Benz that somehow they're happier and that they're better off and that God's blessing is upon them. No, it's not. God's blessing, God's love for you has nothing to do with any type of worldly creation. 
It's not. In fact, sometimes, oftentimes, those blessings can actually act as a curse. God's jealous love for you is this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. In our sins, he saved us. In spite of our sins, he loves us more. God is calling you out today, people. It's been too long, and I think you know it in your heart. It's been too long. It is time to come back. It is time to receive him. God loves you so much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love. And I thank you, Lord, for this moment. Hopefully, hopefully our minds and our hearts and our spirit was awakened to the reality of the devastation that occurs, Lord, every time we choose the world and reject you. That like a husband to an unfaithful wife or a wife to an unfaithful husband. The pain and the anguish. At the same time, the almost justifiable choice of unforgiveness and saying, you know what, you messed up, you're out. And yet, Father, you don't do that with us because your love is greater. You knew every blemish, every fault, You knew every adulterous tendency in our lives, and yet you still said, I do. Father, how could I even understand your love? And I think it begins like in any marriage that after a failing, after a breaking apart, would want to restore It begins one day at a time. It begins with one conversation at a time. It begins with one building block of trust at a time. And Lord, if we haven't experienced your love, I pray that you would lead us every day to go deeper into your romantic, divine love letters we call Scripture. And know, Lord, what we mean to you. We thank you so much for the gathering of these brothers and sisters and these friends, and if they don't know you, Lord, the ones who have yet to experience your grace through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and open their hearts, convict them, bring them to you, Lord. Only you can bring them. Only you can draw them. So, brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys a little time right now to just repent and pray. It's not about doing better. It's not about doing more. The only thing that we can ever do is is to turn our backs against the world and say, I will no longer, no longer, Lord, say yes to the world, but yes to you, my lover. Repent of your wrongdoings. Repent if you felt like you've just been living the way that you want to live and not the way that God wanted you to live. 
But whatever is in your heart, I want to encourage you guys, lift it up to the Lord. He will take it. He will gladly receive it. And he will joyfully restore you back to him. Let's pray.